Welcome back to another Congregation 5 podcast. This is Matt Avery, and I'm joined today by Nick Pilkington. Hey, everyone. He's back. I'm glad he's back. Nick was the first guest that we brought in when it was just Randy and I. And Nick, thanks for coming back today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah. What have you been up to since we last spoke here? We had a windstorm in Nashville and power outages and all kind of crazy things that continue this 2020 season. Y'all were hit by that power outage pretty hard. Yeah, we were. How many days without? Three, three days. So With three little kids? With three little kids, but yeah. Two puppies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you made it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're here today talking about what God is doing in our congregation, and He is loving us and leading us by giving us everything we need for the mission that He has called us to. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word. And he's given us his people, our brothers and sisters. And so today we're going to talk specifically about a type of person that he has given his people in God giving the body of Christ elders. And elders are these under shepherds of Jesus with a very specific calling from Jesus to follow him and laying their lives down for his sheep, to protect them, care for them, fight for them, feed them, mature them, lead them, and love them. And Nick is here because Nick is an elder. And so we're looking at this passage from Acts 20 to explore Nick's call. And as we do that, that's going to shed light on how we're all called, because the Lord has called all of us to follow him and laying our lives down for the sake of others on this mission to bring the kingdom of God to bear in the world around us. And so, Nick, if you would read the passage for us, we're in Acts 20, 18 through 32. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Thank you, Nick. 
I want to start with this idea that these elders, that Paul and these elders that he was talking to in Ephesus, and you and I have this special call on our lives from Jesus. It says that this is a ministry that these men had received from the Lord Jesus, that the Holy Spirit has made these men overseers. The same is true for you. And so how did God call you to this role of elder? Feel the weightiness even as we talk about it afresh again. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in no the pressure, opening, man. yeah, you you bring up uh, all the expectations of what the elder is called to, and, and it makes me feel so inadequate. Receiving that call from the Holy Spirit was, I think in a lot of ways, that's how it became more clear. It started with others outside of me and then progressed from there. And I very much was resistant to the idea. Um, and the Lord used that to clean out a lot of preconceptions about what I thought was a call and what a call looked like and how I had that intertwined with other things that I had assumed and brought in that weren't biblical. What were some of those misconceptions that had to be cleared? Oh, simple things from uh, an elder has to be someone who's elderly to this idea of a call on someone's life into certain roles must mean that they qualify in so many ways that were beyond. I think I had set a lot of high bars about what that looked like and didn't understand that leading sheep often looked like being the chief repenter instead of being the chief doer and successor and you know, the person who was being the best at accomplishing all of what that list said. So tell us more about how God actually called you into this role. It started, I think, years before I actually received this call, but it was in the call of, of leadership and ministry and in the church. Initially, with Joel Walker agreeing to meet with me when I thought I was coming to him with a lot of questions, and uh, his first response was, have you and your wife thought about leading a small group? And that was in the early days of Midtown, in the very earliest days of 12 South, and I think that began to open my eyes to what it might look like to receive a call from the Lord to step into something that I felt wholly inadequate for. And years later, Russ Ramsey was our pastor, and Russ approached me and brought it up, and I thought he was completely crazy. <laughs> and he shared with me some things that he had seen in my life that the Holy Spirit was doing and showing to him that I couldn't see myself. And so that really opened my eyes to see that, and yet I was still extremely reluctant and hesitant to hear that. But then willingly, with the encouragement from my wife and Russ continued, stepped into the training process for elders at Midtown specifically, and continued to hear that voice from outside of me and within me leading me into that role. And then ultimately being confirmed with our church as a whole voting and uh, agreeing that that's the call that they saw in my life. And so what's it like to have that call in your life? Terrifying. <laughs> it's been a joy. It's continually a struggle to think about how to do that well and accomplish these things that you started with in reading all of what an elder's role looks like and does and knowing all of my shortcomings in those areas. Mm. One thing uh, since that time that the Lord has really opened my eyes to is what even I think about when I hear the word call and what that looks like. And I think I placed a, a huge significance on that's who I am versus starting from what's true about who I am as a son, as an heir, 
And then a call is something that that son, that that child of the Lord can step into from that place of already having my significance in something else, in Christ. That's been very encouraging to me too, because I've also felt the weight of that call and to remember that I am my father's beloved son and he has invited me into this as a gift, not as a test to see whether I get to stay in the family. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Because if it were a test, I'd be in trouble. Yeah, and that's first and foremost to think about the role of elder being compared to a shepherd, but also not forgetting that I'm a sheep, that the good shepherd is protecting and laid down his life for me. Yes. And... I want to say here, too, that this is a specific calling that the Lord gives, but that we are all called. Um, Every single one of us who is following Jesus has been called by him to be sheep and shepherds. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is just one very specific manifestation of a call to be a certain type of shepherd in the body of Christ, but that we are all called. And that's something that you know, one of the reasons we wanted to talk with Nick today and hear about what God's doing in his life as an elder is because, you know, for our congregation, we're starting very young. The people who are coming with us are very young, and so there's going to be this temptation, there always is, no matter how old you are, to always stay as the one who is being poured into, and what it means to grow in Christ and to follow Christ and be on mission with Him is that He is always going to be calling us into mission, to be the ones who are pouring out. We'll all still need to be poured into by him and by our brothers and sisters, but that we're also being called to pour out. And that's part of this maturing process. And so we can listen to Nick share about what it is to be an elder, and we can all glean from that, from the call that we have on all of our lives. So Nick, one thing I want to ask you about now is in this passage, Paul gives a lot of weight and a lot of credence to the role of the Word of God in the functioning of an elder. He talks about the Word as being very powerful and as being central to what he does. As we read this passage, he says that he is sharing, teaching, testifying to the entire counsel of God in the Scriptures, and he talks about how the Scriptures are very powerful, that in the Scriptures is the power to grow and mature and save and bring new life to people and to keep people and protect them. And so I wanted to ask you, has that been your experience, that the Word is that powerful? More so than I ever imagined. I mean, we're sitting here talking about it right now, the Word of God that is thousands of years old and how unbelievably pertinent it is to today in 2020 and a pandemic season, and that it blows my mind time and time again. I'm continually so grateful that we have the Word of God because Otherwise, how could we be called to admonish one another, to teach one another without something that's solid, Mm -hmm. that we have a firm footing on? Because otherwise, my desires would cause me to shrink back, as Paul keeps saying (laughs) that he didn't do. But that solid foundation provides something that we can all cling to and point to and pull one another back to. So I want to ask you if you could share maybe one or two examples of how you've seen the power of the Word in action in the lives of people in Midtown. I've seen that significantly in a small group setting, in the Spirit opening up our eyes to see Scripture through one another's eyes that reveals something from a passage that feels so familiar or confusing 
or so many other things that tend to get in the way of us seeing what God might have for us there. And then that unites us to the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, and with one another in ways that just couldn't happen with any other natural book. It also comes to mind a new believer in Christ that I was able to spend some time with walking through Scripture and seeing them for the first time encountering who Jesus really is. It blew me away to see how they saw Christ in a new and profound way because they had so many preconceived notions of who this Jesus guy was. This man that I was walking through thought Jesus is a, you know, a hippie, feel good, peace, love, and harmony, and that's it, and then was confronted by who the real Jesus is. And while he is loving and merciful and tender and gracious, he's also constantly in the scriptures challenging, confronting, admonishing, coming out with strength and power. And I think that blew him away to mm-hmm. realize who he really is and that he can follow someone that loves and is tender and caring, but also has all the strength in the universe. Wow. Yeah. So you referenced a second ago, Paul talking about not shrinking back and twice in this passage, Paul says that he did not shrink back from declaring the word of God to these people. And so the fact that Paul says it twice in the same passage makes me think that shrinking back in fear was actually a very strong temptation for him to stop teaching and stop testifying to the truth of the word in the presence of these people. Is that a temptation that you've ever experienced? Daily. (laughs) (laughs) When you experience that temptation, what is it that makes you want to shrink back from speaking the gospel into other people's lives? One of the primary ones for me is the fear of making a mistake, saying the wrong thing, of declaring something as if I know it's true and really not being sure and not wanting to risk making that mistake. When I feel that temptation, it's usually because of a fear of man, a fear of what the person in front of me is going to think if they're not going to like what I have to say to them. Actually, it's not even what I have to say, and that's part of my problem is I can find myself in a place where I think this is me and what I'm saying and what I have to offer. But if I think that they're not going to like what God has to say, then I'm tempted to just be quiet Mm. because I want them to like me. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's not very loving. Mm -hmm. That's loving myself. But where do you go when you're tempted to shrink back? What do you do in those times? I think about right now, even it's prayers. Uh, I've got a a friend and a mentor who calls them micro prayers. Mm -hmm. It reconnects me with the reality that the Lord is with me, that the Lord will never leave me, that he is my help when I have great need, and that his strength is shown even in that need. And so oftentimes that will be in my own head as I'm praying for the Lord to give me ears to hear and a voice to speak. It can be stopping and praying out loud with the person and confessing before them, my lack when that's the case. And I've seen the Lord use that in more powerful ways than I ever could have done in having the right thing to say or the perfect verse to pull out. And Nick, something that you said to me this week as we were talking about this passage was pointing out the difference it makes of what is precious to us. Mm. Would you share that? I see in this passage, Paul going back to that time and time again. I mean, that's That's his conviction for what these elders are called to do, for 
um, what his experience has been and what prevents him from shrinking back is knowing his significance as a son and how he has been found unbelievably precious. And not just him as an individual, but the church, that we were purchased with the infinitely great and wonderful and precious and costly blood of Christ. Mm. And so when we see that deep, deep preciousness, that's what melts our heart. Uh, I remember years ago, before even I felt any call to be an elder or had any of that experience, seeing all the tears in here. And I know I was very cold. I did not shed many tears and could hardly recall a time of tears. And what God has done in my life through his word and through seeing how much he gave and how much he treasured me and how much he treasures his body and each one of the people within Congregation 5 and his church as a whole, that has melted my heart to where I have wept many tears. And I can tell you before that, I thought it was something I broken. I, I, I don't cry. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what is he crying about? What are all these tears for? Mm. And now I feel it regularly. Yeah. In verse 24, he says, I don't account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. And there's a way that we can read that as a self-hating, unhealthy thing. But when you read that in the context of what you just said, Nick, you see what Paul really means is that I'm not accounting my life of any value apart from Jesus because he is the one who has made me. He is the one who has redeemed me. He is the one who has purchased me and he is where my life is. He is my life. And so because he is my life, what is valuable to me is being united with him in the calling that he's put on my life because that's where he is and that's where he's saying is good for me to be. And so being with him, it's not a certain set of circumstances or it's not a certain place to achieve. It's just being with him wherever he is, which is where he's called me to be in this moment, no matter what that feels like. But that's where life is. Yeah. When you say where that's where life is, I think that Paul was also clearly willing and ready and expecting to die for what he treasured. Yes. And I think about all the things that I treasure and how clearly it will sift out the wheat from the chaff, as scriptures say, when I think about, am I willing to die for that set of good news or what another gospel, a false gospel that I'm preaching or teaching with my words in my life? When it comes down to actually laying my life down, it's very sharpening of the senses and the heart and the mind to know, do I fully believe and commit to this? Do I love and treasure this? Mm. And when you treasure Jesus, then that weakens the temptation to shrink back mm -hmm. because there's nothing more precious that you're protecting. Yeah. So Nick, one thing that Paul does here with these elders is he warns them and he advises them to pay careful attention to the flock, but not only to the flock, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. So what does that look like for you? Relationships. And specifically, a lot of relationships that outside and apart from the gospel of Jesus, I would probably never have. Um, ones that challenge me in many ways, ones that point out and see and are willing to admonish me and call me out in love to truth, and also ones where I'm invited in to do the same for others. 
and relationships that I've experienced through the years of Midtown are often with people that yeah, we just don't naturally have the same connection uh, that the world would expect, and yet we become dearly loved brothers and sisters. I love how the Lord does that, and I love how His doing that sheds light on my false assumptions on the prerequisites for what it is going to take for me to have a close relationship with somebody, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's really that we are both pursuing Jesus. That's all the groundwork that needs to be there. Nick, you've already talked about shedding tears as Mm -hmm. part of this call on your life, and we can see from Paul here in this passage, he very clearly had his heart and his affections wrapped up in this call in his life. And you can see his deep love for God and for these men and women that he was called to. And so I want to ask you a couple questions. First, what have been some of your most painful moments as an elder? I want to think about painful moments in walking with Midtown, my fellow Midtowners as an elder. I think about on one side of things where Paul says to admonish everyone with tears and the difficult work that um, I've been a part of that's messy and doesn't always turn out the way that I would hope and pray for admonishing to call people to what we call as church discipline, which doesn't mean delivering punishment, but to calling us back to our vows as members to say, when I've run my life off the rails in a certain specific area, or there's something that I'm completely blind to, then I'm asking the church to step in and speak into that moment and call me back to this moment. And as elders, we're on the front lines of being the ones that are called to do that work. And as as you might expect, uh, not everyone receives that in a very uh, positive way. <laughs> and there are a lot of tears shed over uh-huh. those moments from everyone involved. It can be extremely painful. It has been. I've only been at Midtown for almost two years now, and I have seen enough to where I've seen Nick follow God's call to walk into what we call church discipline with people and be the tip of the spear. And I can tell you that that more than maybe anything else reveals his love for the church and his love for the people of God that he would be willing to walk into these moments where people don't want to be pursued because they've forgotten who they are and they've forgotten whose they are. And for Nick and others to suit up and walk into the front lines for the sake of the person, the very person who is treating them like an enemy because they love them is a very hard and very painful task that I don't see many people raising their hand to volunteer for. But I can say that Nick receives that and owns that call that the Lord's put on his life. And walking into those moments may not be a joy, but it is a joy to be, but it is a joy to be called to pursue the people that are so precious to Jesus. And so, Nick, thank you for doing that. Yeah, man. And another category of painful moments is just has nothing to do with church discipline. It's just the suffering that we all go through that elders are called to walk with people in that suffering. Nick, tell us about what that's like. I can tell you a couple of ways that that's like. One, um, experiencing that on the receiving end of having other elders step into my life 
when I or my family have been experiencing suffering. Think uh, back to my relationship with Russ, who was calling me into this. At the same time, he was serving as an elder and a shepherd for me and for my wife. We experienced a, a miscarriage. We're going through struggles with starting a family and then ended up adopting her oldest son. And there was so much joy in that and also so much more to that story of pain and suffering that he was walking right there alongside us. And so I think experiencing it and receiving that uh, has given me greater courage and not shrinking back from stepping into that. And so when I've gotten calls, just like our other elders at Midtown have, that is saying a family is at the hospital and needs someone to show up. That's even been the case where it's friends of a family who are non-Midtowners who are out of town and us saying, yeah, I, I know I've been there. I can go and be there and not know what to say and feel that awkwardness. And yet there's goodness and beauty and suffering alongside one another. Yeah. So tell us now about some of the most joyful moments from being an elder. A lot of joy has come out of those hard situations and developing new friendships, new relationships. Uh, I've also had tremendous joy of getting to see people that the Lord has revealed and shown to me how much they're growing and maturing and how they're coming out of darkness, that light is shining into those hard places. That is the whole counsel of God, as Paul says, is being shared with them, that uh, it's changing their lives radically mm -hmm. in, in beautiful, beautiful ways. Um, not to diminish any of the pain that they have suffered or still suffer, and yet they're experiencing joy, and I get to, I get to be a part of that, to celebrate with them. Think about the other joys of us celebrating as Congregation 5, having fun together at times and, and partying in different sized groups and inviting people that are outside our community into it. What a gift to see that, to see our people link arms in loving one another and loving the quote-unquote outsider well, bringing them in. Absolutely. Yeah, it's something you mentioned is also a great joy for me of just watching the gospel transform somebody's life. I, I call that watching the light come on for people. Mm -hmm. They understand God reveals truth to them in a way that actually transforms their everyday life. Can we the, call it the light come in? The light come in. I yeah. like that. Yes. Yeah, watching the light come in. Absolutely. Well, Nick, thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. And um, thank you for your work that you do as an elder. I can tell you it is a joy and a tremendous gift to me, not just to be your friend, but to have you as a partner in this ministry and being under shepherds of Jesus together for this congregation that he is forming. And I cannot imagine doing that alone. I have no desire to do that alone. And so you are a great gift to me. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Matt. I want to pray for us. Father, thank you so much for all that you give us. Lord, as your people, you don't, you don't leave us alone. You give us your Holy Spirit. Your very Spirit dwells with us at all times. You are always with us. We are united with you, Jesus. You give us your word. You give us your whole counsel so that we could grow and mature and have life. And Lord, you also give us our brothers and sisters. You give us this body. You, you say that you give us all different gifts, and all of these gifts work to build one another up toward full maturity in Jesus. And Lord, one of those gifts specifically is these men who you've put this specific call of elder on their lives to follow you in a specific way 
to uh, lay their lives down alongside you for the good of your people. And so, Lord, I thank you for Nick and the other elders of Midtown and all the elders of your church around the world. But Lord, I ask that you would show us that this is a unique call in some ways, but in other ways, it's it's not unique at all, that we are all called to lay our lives down for one another. We are all called to not only be poured into, but to pour out. And so, Lord, I pray that you would build a body of men and women who are recognizing that. And as you are maturing us, we are moving into places where we are finding ways and finding people to pour out our lives for and with, for your glory and for our good. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like you got